the book of Ephesians, if we would. There we go. There we go. Ephesians will be beginning in chapter 1, because that just seems like a reasonable place to start. Ephesians is, uh, is a curious book as far as some of the writings of Paul go. In fact, if you read through most of the epistles that Paul writes, he's very connected to what goes on in the given churches, whether it was a church that he planted or not. Think, for instance, even of the the epistle to the Romans. Paul makes it abundantly clear in the first chapter he had never been to Rome, although he really wanted to go there, and yet he spends chapter 16 of that book doing what? Make sure you greet this person and this household and say hello and pass pass on my love here. He was intimately aware of the people and the situations in those congregations. To the Philippians, he says, you have been my partners from the very beginning until now. And, and he, gets, he gets downright personal when he names names towards the end of the book and says, sisters, get together and stop this fussing and fighting that's going on. And, and Ephesians then is different because of all those intimate and personal moments that we find in the other New Testament letters. You read through the book of Ephesians and there is something different. There are none of those personal references and it's just enough, it's just enough different from the rest of his letters that it ought to make you go, hmm, did Paul have a pretty good relationship with the folks at Ephesus? You remember as he is on his way, he thinks, or it is supposed to the end of his days that he calls, Acts chapter 20, he calls the elders from that town uh, to meet with him so that he can have a final, very tearful goodbye. And he recounts how with tears he shared with them the gospel and, and didn't withhold anything that was for their good. He preached everything that he needed to say. He was connected with these people and they with him. And so that just makes it even more strange that these personal moments are not found in the book of Ephesians. So it's just one of those things that makes us go, hmm. Well, to study some of the background of of the manuscripts and the history of, of the documents themselves that come to us through antiquity, how we actually end up with, with the text of Scripture. As, as you look at some of the New Testament letters, they were obviously not written to a particular church in a particular situation. In fact, we call some of the letters in the New Testament general epistles, don't we? The epistles of John, the epistles of Peter particularly come to mind, Jude and James. They're written to maybe churches within a region. Even, even the, the, the Galatian letter is written to churches at Galatia. I think, and this is just my two cents, and it really doesn't affect a whole lot of what we're going to talk about tonight, but maybe just a little. I really think Ephesians is one of those general epistles. The oldest copies of of what we call the letter to the Ephesians that we have received through history actually just say, to the church at blank. And it seems that the copy that was preserved that has come to our hands was the church that, excuse me, was the letter that was sent to Ephesus, and it was the letter that was preserved for our learning by God, still written by Paul. It doesn't change anything about the inspiration of the letter, the power, or the message, but maybe it gives us this perspective, that when we read many of the other New Testament letters, it's like we're eavesdropping on someone else's conversation, right? 
We've got to figure out from, from the discussion in the letter, what is Paul or, or what, is, what are the other writers, what are they trying to, to specifically address in that specific congregation? You read Corinthians, and goodness, they have all sorts of specific situations. And so to, to really get the best out of the epistle, we have to figure out what's going on there, how the apostle encouraged them to, to address that, and then extrapolate a principle for our learning and for our good because it was written to very specific situations. But Ephesians will address some very timeless notions about God and His eternal plan and purpose, things that are not specific to one church in one situation, but things that every church and every generation needs to hear. I think Ephesians is, above all the New Testament letters, steps back to get that widest view, that, that cosmic perspective of what God has been about from the beginning of time, and and we know He was even working before the beginning of time, through their history, which is our past, through to our time, and that He definitely has a plan for the future. That our God is, is larger than any single situation. And so Ephesians has these timeless qualities as Paul describes the great eternal nature of God and His plan and how that is summed up in Jesus, in both his person and his work. And in Ephesians, he will say, man, God, in all of this greatness, in all of this richness, in all of the, the grandiose, uh, is bigness a word? I, I don't have a word in my vocabulary. This is just frankly big enough to describe how awesome God is, especially in this letter. But he says, in all of, of, of the the awesomeness of God, and that's a fitting word. From that awesomeness, out of that awesomeness, God chooses to to interact with people. He chooses to interact with a group of people who are His church. And the way that He lifts us up, and the way that He chooses to use us, and really the way that He exalts us, This is what we need to hear. This is what they needed to hear. This is what every church and every generation needs to hear because the message of Ephesians is God is able and He empowers us. Not in any scary way. We're not going out into left field tonight, but we we need to, to know and we need to believe and we need to be sure that whatever it is that God has given us to do, whatever assignment He has given us, both as a congregation and individually as Christians, He has given us every bit of planning and wisdom and power to be able to accomplish those things in His name for His purposes. God is not some weakling who sets off on an agenda, who gives us a plan, who sends us off on some fool's errand that cannot be accomplished. Surely it cannot always be done. Maybe it can't ever be done under our own power. But here's the great thing about God. He is not stingy. And He shares greatly. So, Ephesians. I wish we had time to just read through the whole book and preach through the whole book. But that, you know, that preaching till midnight stuff just doesn't cut it anymore. So the first part of chapter 1. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Which is to say what? If you and I are in Christ, how many spiritual blessings do we have from the hand of God? 
All is a pretty big word, isn't it? And it's part of this, this very, very large view of God. That God is not, none of these spiritual blessings fall beyond the power of God to give or beyond the scope of what He intends for Christians. Every good thing that God has had in mind for His people, He has already given us. So right there, that challenges a lot of our day-to-day mentality of saying, poor me, I am just so weak. I cannot overcome this temptation. I cannot, I cannot apply myself to this task. I just don't have the strength to do this. Or that. God has given us all spiritual blessings if we are in the Christ. And he will enumerate many of those. And even in his list, from, from there through verse 14, as he lists several of them, he won't be able to list them all. Because all is just a pretty big word. But, but we could read all of them. And, and bottom line, he says in verse 14 and a couple other places, he says he's given us all of these things so that as we apply them, as we, as we work them out into our lives, as they become part of us, we will become to the praise of his glorious grace. It makes him look good when his good gifts are used in our lives when we are transformed by his goodness by his grace by the giving of all these fantastic gifts who gets the credit and who gets the glory he does and so all of this reflects back upon him and so now verse uh the second part excuse me verse 15 of chapter one for this reason because i have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Paul is looking for a period, and so am I. Where, Where do you stop? And so as we kind of work our way through this text, he says, I, I am praying for you. And this is my prayer. Not just one of thanksgiving and gratitude for who you are and your faith. He said, I've, I've heard of that. I know you're engaged. In fact, whoever they are, if it's specifically the Ephesians or if it's, if it's just any church on any corner that, that Paul is, is aware of, then they, are, then they have faith just like you and I do. And Paul is thankful for that and thankful for whatever is at work within us from God, but he says, this is my specific prayer, that God, the Father of glory, may give you wisdom, spirit of wisdom, and of revelation, and the knowledge of him, by, by this means, verse 18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, so that you may know. Guys, uh, I actually did pretty well this week. Sarah was gone at the ladies' retreat, and so it was just me and the boys, and Gran was a big help, as you can imagine. But can you think with me through a scenario? You're, you're at the refrigerator by yourself, guys, and this is dangerous territory, and you, are, you have a mission. You are going to create that, that sandwich for lunch that just makes, and you've got to have the particular ingredients that make the sandwich you want, and, and everybody has a different set. Maybe it's, maybe it's mayonnaise versus Miracle Whip. That would be the better choice, mayonnaise, just so you know. Um, 
Maybe it's a particular kind of pickle. Who knows what you would you have your particular lunch meat or condiment or bread? And you open the refrigerator door to find it. And you, you scan through the shelves, and over here you look through the door, and it's not there. You, you thought it was, but it's not there. And so, and so what do you do? Sweetheart, where is the whatever? Well, it's in the refrigerator. Well, I looked, but I couldn't find it. And then what does she say? It's right there on the third shelf behind the orange Tupperware. And lo and behold, you move the Tupperware, and, and magically it appeared. It was not there before. Did my ignorance and my overlooking, whatever it is that I'm looking for, did that really affect whether it was there or not? Of course not. And that's what Paul is making his point to the Ephesians about. He says to the Ephesians, to the Christians, wherever it is that he's writing, and to us, he says, you and I have so much more than we even realize. And my prayer for you is the eyes of your heart would be enlightened and I can hear my mama in my head saying, just open your little eyes. That was her, her way of saying, it's there, just keep looking. Open your little eyes, folks, and see what God has done. He has given you all spiritual blessings. And so when you and I act like, like we are spiritually impoverished, like we do not have what it takes, that we are too weak. God shakes his head in heaven and he says, kids, just open your little eyes. Paul's prayer, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened so that you may know the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. It would be, it would be tragedy, wouldn't it? If you and I had all of these riches waiting to be spent in our lives and to be spent in the lives of others, not financial, we understand, but all of the riches and the goodness of God to be spread out in this world through us and we never knew the pin number to that account. And God had sent it to us and it was just sitting in the mailbox. That would be silly, wouldn't it? And Paul says it's silly. Borders on ridiculous. It might even border on irresponsible, shouldn't it? That God has given us all spiritual blessings through His Son Jesus, and yet we act as if we don't have them. I want you to know, verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe. All of the power of God. If you and I can imagine the vastness of that or begin to attempt to imagine it, it is all at work, not, not against us, not even just beside us, but at work towards us as if, as if we need to be propelled through this life by the wind of His power. That's exactly what He's doing. He's, he's helping us in the right direction and as we go along this way, He's giving us everything we need to rise to the challenge this immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His great might. The book of Ephesians is all about God's plan or wisdom and His might or His power. That is, God is the one who thinks up the plan and then God is the one who empowers us to execute the plan. Either way, it's all about Him. You and I are along for the ride unless we fight it. Unless we just lie there like dead weight. 
What is the strength of this power? What, is it, what, what kind of power is it? Verse 20, it's the same power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Friends, think about this. As we celebrate the resurrection of Christ every week, we, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We acknowledge that he's coming again, that he's not dead, that he is the resurrected Jesus. And we build our entire life around that. Paul says no, no smaller of a power than that power which raised Jesus from the dead. It is the power that propels us, that guides us, that empowers us to accomplish whatever it is that God has set before us. Not only did it raise Jesus from the dead, but it set him in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one that is to come. And he put, and here we've got to get into some some grammar, or at least we've got to identify who these he's are as we talk about the pronouns. And he put all things under his feet and gave him. The first he is, is God the Father. God the Father who superintends all things, who is over all things, through all things, in all things, as Paul will say later. God put all things under his feet. Whose feet do you suppose those are? The feet of Christ, the feet of Jesus. God put all things under his feet and gave him, that is Jesus, God gave all things under the feet of Jesus and gave Jesus his head over all things to the church. Now friends, is Jesus the head of his church? Yes. But is that what this verse says? No. That's true, but that's true from other places. This says he is head over how many things? All things. Sometimes I think we get the wrong impression that, that, that Satan is more powerful or that the kingdoms and the ways of this world are more powerful and that they can actually put up some fight against God. Let's not give them any more credit than they're due. And they're not given much due at all. The book of Colossians, a parallel to Ephesians, will say Christ at the cross has disarmed all of those powers and whatever would stand against him. And he made a fool of them because they thought they could stand against him. And they have failed miserably. And so here, Christ is enthroned over all those things and God has given him all things. He has made him head over all things to the church now what does that mean that means whatever task whatever opportunity whatever responsibility god has given us as his people as his church can we do it yes yes we can we can do it not through our own strength, not through our own plan, not through our own ability, none of that, but through following Him, it can all be accomplished. One of the biggest responsibilities, most important responsibilities of leadership, especially in the church, is that leaders need to be encouragers. Leaders need to be people who say, yes, we can do it. And, and I think back to Joshua and Caleb and their first excursion into the land and they, they see the exact same thing that the other spies see, don't they? They see the same soldiers and they see the same local inhabitants but, but in, the, in the eyes of those ten they say, well we might as well be, we might as well be grasshoppers. 
we look and then they, they just seem to be so big and they're so strong and the land is so rich and they have grown so healthy. We can't do this. And I suppose they were right. They couldn't have done it. But when Joshua and Caleb come back with their report, what do they say? He can do it. And if we just hang on to God's coattails, He goes before us and He will fight the battle. Friends, leaders need to be saying the same thing to the church. That God who marches before us has already fought the battles and we can do it. If as long as we stay close to Him, walk in His footsteps, victory is assured. Defeat is not an option. This is faith. And you understand the, the, the gravity of this situation. That the the, the good report was given by Joshua and Caleb, but that's not the one that the people heard. That's not the one that they followed. And because they followed the discouraging report, the report that took away their courage and their faith in God, they, just, they, they ended up turning donuts in the desert for 40 years, didn't they? That whole generation lost their opportunity to enter the promised land because they lacked courage. And they lacked courage because somebody told them along the way, you can't do it, and neither can your God. Well, friends, the book of Ephesians says we can do it. And I am here to tell you, at least for whatever time we have tonight, you and I, to follow God, we can do whatever it is that he's put in front of us. He is the Christ. He is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the age that is to come. Oh, and, and where do you jump down to to continue all of this? Who makes us this way? You think, about, you think about all of God's work towards the church. And, and you go back and, and, and we, we sometimes read all these glorious passages like, like what we've read about the, the majesty of the church and how God sees the church. And, and I hope that when we read those, we don't begin to pat ourselves on the back and say, say oh, we really are special. We are special, but not because of us. We're special because of who He is, what He has chosen, what He has done in us. Uh, you remember little Jack Horner? He sat in a corner eating his Christmas pie. He stuck in his thumb, pulled out a plum. I always thought, what a, what a lousy kid. He just ruined what the pie looked like. I mean, if I had done that, my mother would have been all over me. And I think that's sometimes who we are. We, we think... Look, look, look at how good I am. I just ruined the pie. We are who we are. All of the good things in the Bible that can be said and that are said about the church are true not because of us, but because of Him. And if you were to read all of Ephesians 2 and work through that, you remember that it starts with some very stark words about you know who you were. You know the path that you were walking. You know the companions that you had. You know the destiny that was surely yours. But, verse 4, but God. But God being rich in mercy and because of His great love, He did something about it. And so you, you are His workmanship. You are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That, that He has taken you from this, this pit of darkness and, and, and restored. He has made something of you that you would not have been without him and and so with with that you are verse 22 we'll use this to maybe sum up most of chapter 2 in him you are being built together into a dwelling place for god 
by the Spirit. God, God looked out on the edge of town and he saw the most beat up, single wide trailer that nobody would want to live in. And he said, that, that's where I'm going to put my headquarters. That's where I'm going to plant my flag. And everybody around him says, God, that's, that's not a good investment. There are better houses in town. There's a place by the golf course I know just opened up. And then God says, no, 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 I want that one. And he chooses the very least for this purpose so that when he is done remodeling, all the people come by and they see, and what do they say? Who could have ever thought? Who could have ever dreamed that you could have taken this nothing and made it into something so beautiful? No one's ever seen a remodeling project on the scale that God does as he opens up each one of our lives and begins to transform and change who we are, making us more and more to be like Jesus, giving us that same purpose and that same power that he worked towards Jesus, he exerts towards us. Uh, in chapter 3, lots of, lots of wonderful things, but, but we'll, we'll pick up in verse 7. This, this transformation, this is the power of gospel that makes us less like ourselves and more like Jesus. Of this gospel, Paul says, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me by the working of His power. Even Paul, you want to see a good case study of someone going from, from nothing, from spiritual poverty, from darkness into great light, you have to look no further than the Apostle Paul himself, right? One who persecuted Christians, one who was marching against God as hard as he could, and yet God took him and changed him from the inside out, and he became one of the greatest missionaries that history has ever seen. So I am an apostle, he says, according to the working of his power. And to me, although I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden in ages, hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Oh, Paul says this. God is working this plan and has had all of these, these things in motion through time to show off his wisdom and to show off his strength, to make an exhibition of himself, to invite any of those who would challenge him. Come look at what I can do. And I don't know who the, the powers and principalities are. I really don't know all the details. I'm sure the elders here do. Just ask them afterwards. They'll straighten you away. Yeah. But, but whoever is watching, whatever this means, whoever is, is that, that God is, is showing off to, and you have to imagine that's, that would be pretty powerful company, but whoever he's showing off to, this is, this is the, 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 the final entry. This is what God says. You cannot top this. He reaches back to us and he pulls us forward of all of the things that god has ever created or all of the things that god has done the thing that he is most proud of the project that he has invested the most in is his church he doesn't show off the rings of saturn he doesn't show off man everest he shows off the church so that through the church the manifold wisdom of god might now be made known to rulers and authorities because we are that broken down place. And yet as soon as God is done remodeling us and making us into a suitable dwelling place for Him, 
Anybody would want to live where we are. Anybody would want what God has when he holds his church up. At least that is the ideal that we are called to embrace. That God is that proud of us. That he points down to us and he says, look, I've, I've taken people from this race and from this ethnic group and from this socioeconomic group and from this language and this country. And th- I've taken people from all over my creation and I have made them into one body. I've broken down any dividing wall of hostility. They are one. And look at what they do. They live by faith and they love one another and they speak the truth in love and all of those beautiful things that are in Ephesians and it's a fantastic picture of what the church ought to be and that is what God holds up and he says to all of the universe and anyone who would watch look at what I have done we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works if you've ever been in the home of an artist someone who paints someone who carves and has their their artwork on display in their home You know that if you compliment and say, wow, that's fantastic, you'd better have a good hour for them to tell you about it, right? And rightly so, because they have invested of themselves in that piece. And God is crazy about his artwork. And so, this church, through which the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. All of this, verse 11, is according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you realize from before day one, God has been all about the church. The church is no plan B. The church is no accident. God has always intended for us to be drawn together as his family. God has always intended for people to be drawn to His Son through the work of His church. And so you and I have a mission to accomplish. There is what He has set before us. And we don't approach this work as beggars or without a plan or thought in our head. We approach it with the very wisdom and mind and plan of God. And we approach it with all of the power and with all of the ability that God gifts to us. This is according to the eternal purpose he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you which is for your glory. Paul writes as a prisoner. But he says obviously you can lock me up but you can't shut up the message. You cannot shut up the power of God. And so he ends with this prayer. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Because you and I must be strengthened. We must be built up to continue to march forward and accomplish the task. So from the inside out, be strengthened, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. If he said earlier, friends, just open your little eyes. Here he's built it up even bigger. He says, my my prayer to God is that that your capacity to understand, your mind, my mind, they're not big enough 
to understand the love of God that fuels all of this, that is behind all of this. God's power, great. God's power without God's love is, is of no benefit to us. God's wisdom, all of his plan without love is of no benefit to us. But when, when his love is brought into the equation, then it becomes towards us. And it's a beautiful, wonderful thing that saves our souls. And so he says, I wish that you could understand, have strength to, to comprehend what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. I wish that you could know. Have you heard this? I wish that you could know the unknowable. It's so big, there's no way you and I can wrap our minds around it. But I wish, I wish that we could. And the more that we apply ourselves to knowing this unknowable, the, the, the trait of God, the depths of it, the more in tune with Him we'll be, the deeper in love with Him we will be, the more like Him we will be. So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That sounds an awful lot like chapter 1 to me. You have all spiritual blessings in Christ. And if you, if you can open your eyes to see what God has done for you, to see the plan that He has laid out for you, and to see with faith the power that He gives you to accomplish these things, then you will be well on your way to having the fullness of God live inside of you. And it's nothing mystical, but it is to live as God in this world world and to move forward with faith in him and his plan now to him who is able to do more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work where within us and that's the challenge that's that's the bottleneck let me ask you do you want do you want this congregation to grow you know, I, I realize this is, this is Sunday night and so there's a lot of empty pews but wouldn't it be cool if, if we had to have this place chock full on Sunday morning and on Sunday night? Wouldn't that bring honor and glory to God? You bet it would. Do we want the church to grow? And I, I've asked churches this question before and sometimes they give me a blank stare. This is an important question. Paul, Paul will frame it this way. He says God has all the power, God has all the desire, God has all the plan. The bottleneck, if there is one, is whether this power is actually at work in us or whether we stifle it. There's no limit to God's power, to His wisdom, to His imagination and plans and dreams. But goodness, you and I can be pessimistic sometimes. Goodness, you and I can squash a good idea. Goodness, you and I can tell the Holy Spirit, be quiet. I want to be me. I don't want to be Jesus today. And woe to us when we do that, when we do not live by faith. But to Him, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God has all the power, friends. Tonight, if, if your life seems to be stuck in neutral... And as, as a Christian, you are not growing deeper in love with Him. You are not moving farther along with Him. Then we know where the bottleneck is. We know where the hang-up is. It's, it's in us. And if there's anything that can be done to move us off of that hump, it's, it's through the prayers 
and through the love and through the concentration of this group of people here who love you and love the Lord. If there's any way that we can help you in your spiritual walk tonight, let us know how that is. Let us know as we stand and as we sing.